Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, for the first ever Locked on Bucks NBA Finals preview. Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. As we mentioned, uh, and it, it may surprise some people, but I don't believe Locked on Bucks was around in 1974, the last time the Bucks made the NBA Finals. So we're going to dive into it here if you guys missed my podcast last night, or there was two pods yesterday, um, but really, really fun episode with David, a fellow Aussie, but he knows the Suns inside and out, does great video breakdowns. So we, I learned a lot about the Phoenix Suns from David. So go back and check out that pod there. But today's episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Download the app and join me. Uh, it's going to be next week now, and we'll do another uh, Spotify Green Room pod where you guys can get involved. Frank, that's not beat around the bush here that's that's cut straight to the chase we're go- i'm sure we're going to go from all angles here but it makes sense that we start with Giannis. Uh, just as we're recording here just recently he's been listed as doubtful for game one which seems to be following the trend of the reports we've had chris haynes obviously said there was some optimism that he would play in game seven now it does seem that they're going to at least uh, you know, try this out. Bud said today from media day, he did do some on-court stuff. We saw some limited vision of him out on the court. I would say the limp is not as noticeable. Uh, where are you at with the Giannis situations? What are your expectations? And again, this is all purely speculation, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of different theories and a lot of different thoughts of what the Bucks could potentially do or what they should do with a Giannis that clearly isn't going to be 100%. Where are you at? Yeah, I mean, if this was a game seven tomorrow... Um... Mm-hmm. Yeah, the calculus may very well be different. Um, I like in in my head, not being a doctor, obviously I'm not privy to really what is is going on day to day with the honest's knee. But um, I, in a weird way, I almost just you know, based on what we know, I almost just would feel like kind of relieved if he doesn't play in game one, just mm-hmm. just to give him like another couple days to to hopefully get a little more rehab in and try to get closer to, I don't know. I don't know what percentage, you know, fitness he's realistically going to be able to get to in the next couple of weeks um, as this series drags on. But, um, but I, I mean, again, you, you never want to count him out. Um, you know, if it's just purely up to Giannis, he's going to try to play. But I also think the way he plays and, and especially the way we've seen them play the last couple of games, um, I think Giannis at, you know, 70%, whatever that means. <laughs> what, do, what do these percentages ever even mean? Like, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a question in and of itself. But um, I think that version of Giannis can still be a help defensively um, just because, it, you know, they have so few looks that they can give the Phoenix Suns right now. Um, you know, fortunately, what they did defensively worked against the Atlanta Hawks. But the Suns, I think, are, you know, a next level up. Um, I think as you were making the point with David on the, the, the Suns preview pod, you know, Trey and Capella were kind of like the training wheels version of, of Chris Paul and Devin Booker and, you know, DeAndre Ayton on pick and rolls. Um, so it, this just feels like kind of a next level up. And um, I think Giannis will always, I think, be a help defensively if, he's, if he can be on the court, even if he's not at his full athletic best. I think offensively is where it becomes, you know, bit of a different question mark just because again if if he's not really able to have the explosion and um the physicality that he needs to dominate you know obviously just offensively it's just going to be hard for him to be impactful so you know again it's 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 not to say that when he comes back the bucks are going to be worse for it but we saw with trey young you know was trey young a net positive for the hawks in, in game six i don't think he was you know that's why I, that's why as a bucks fan i thought their best chance was with him coming back because i just didn't think he was going to be himself and 
You know, we saw Trey Young struggle to find range on the three-point shot. Uh, needless to say, I don't think Giannis is going to come back and, you know, be able to fall back on his trusty three-point shot, <laughs> his knee not, not in good shape. So, um, so I, think, I think rushing back just to play is a little bit of a trap. And I think, again, it's just going to be a, a, you know, a very difficult call that the Bucks are going to have to make with, with Giannis, with the medical staff, and, and to be honest, the front office and you know, everybody just coming together to make the right decision. And for me, the, I, I'm glad this, this series is starting on the road for that reason. I think yeah. you, could, you could make the reverse case that, well, you know, without Giannis, you really want to be able to, you know, rely on the home crowd. And you, that's when it would be great to have that home crowd advantage. But, um, you know, I think psychologically in a weird way, um, if you're at home, and you come out and, you know, Giannis can't play or Giannis is like, you know, shell of himself and you lose game one. Um, I don't know. I think that's a bigger blow. And again, maybe, maybe that's, maybe it wouldn't really be the case, but I just feel like um, in a way being on the road, um, it's a little easier to say, Hey, Giannis, take care of yourself another couple of days. Let's see if we can capture lightning and bottle again, as we did uh, in games five and six without you, especially in game six on the road in Atlanta. Uh, and if we can steal a game one win somehow, um, then man, we feel great about where we are. And then, you know, you can even looking ahead, maybe you even say, all right, take another five days off because you'll get, or sorry. Uh, yeah, five days. Cause you know, you'll have the one day before game two, game two, and then you get another couple days. So I guess it'd be four days off. You get two days off before, uh, game three. So I don't know. I mean, again, like we're just <laughs> wildly speculating on recovery times and how good he'll be and all that. Um, but it's, you know, for me, this is the most frustrating part is, you know, the Bucks have waited as a franchise 47 years to get back <laughs> to the finals and, you know, the ability to prognosticate matchups, stylistic tendencies. Um, and ultimately I think who wins this series is just so thrown up in the air by Giannis's um, potential absence from games and, you know, obviously potential limitations from um, when he does come back. So in, in a long way, you know, that's a very roundabout way of saying that I'm totally fine if, you know, they sort of say, Hey, let's, let's, you know, let that leg recover for another couple of days before we really test it. Um, Cause again, I just don't know how much he's really going to be able to help on Tuesday night, even if he does, you know, suck it up and, you know, take whatever painkillers or whatever you can do, whatever shots, quarters. You know, again, I don't, I don't know, Neil, you're the, you're, King, you're the, the knee expert here on the show. I don't know what else they can really do for him, but um, I, I'm okay with them, you know, basically just throwing caution to the wind. Well, actually, no, that would be the, bad, the wrong metaphor. I'm fine with them not throwing caution to the wind, yeah. <laughs> just playing it safe and just seeing if they can steal a win with, you know, the, the shorthanded group they have. But again, you know, the, you, know you look at the series, it's only a seven game series. Every game is crucial and there's obviously risk in doing that. I mean, you just, the, the last point you made is why I totally understand why there will be several people that will be listening to the podcast saying, why are you even discussing this? This is the NBA finals, get him out there and the 60%, 70%, whatever it is. Again, those numbers, are, as you said, are so ridiculous. How do we really know? Um, but it, it does change the way the team plays. So you have to be able to ask yourself, well, okay, well, how limited is he going to be? And then what impact is that going to have with the way that we play or the way that we run the offense? In terms of Giannis, and again, without being in the medical room, without speaking to Giannis, it is logical to say that if what has been reported is true and there's no structural damage with the knee, then you have to believe that this is going to be a matter of soreness and whatever the, the bone bruising was which you have to suspect there was some and the swelling how is he going to be impacted by playing in this game one because let's remember there's only one game one day off before game two but then there's two days off and and then the recovery time extends a little bit as those as these games wear on so i, I think that'll be the question i would imagine that the medical staff will be questioning what is the right thing to do here and then i would equally imagine that Giannis is out there saying i'm playing i'm ready to go i'm 100 percent ready to go which is of course why everyone loves Giannis. we know uh, what he is about so I, I think those are the things that they'll be asking and i've certainly heard a number of people suggest the same thing that playing a non 100 Giannis, as crazy as it sounds everyone knows two-time MVP, the best player in the series an nba probably a likely finals mvp if the bucks win the title he's very very important 
but this does complicate things a little bit. So the, the question I had for you and for most of my previews and most of the time I've been talking about this, I've been assuming that Giannis wasn't going to be there for game one. I think we got a good taste of what the Bucks can do offensively if Giannis isn't playing. So I think we've got a good read on that from game five and game six, despite the fact that I think the defensive personnel from Phoenix is, is really versatile. They've got a number of good defenders and guys that seem to make sense matchup wise for the Bucks. But as far as the Bucks offense goes, if Giannis plays, I saw a tweet, or, or sorry, I heard a quote um, from Chris Middleton earlier today where he kind of said, well, it changes the offense a little bit because when Giannis is there, we can sort of just give him the ball to him and he can create and do it all. When he's not there, everyone kind of has to step up. And, and I would like to think that these last two games in the strangest way possible has shown this team that they can do different things and they can get guys involved differently. I know you pointed to the comments that Drew Holiday said after game five, where he's like, yeah, maybe I do need to be a little bit more aggressive. So I would like to think if Giannis plays in this offense, they can still carry through some of the actions and some of the the, the looks that they got for Chris, for Drew in terms of their aggressiveness and perhaps not just say, well, Giannis, I know you're not 100%, but you're back in the lineup. So here's the ball, man, go figure it out. I would like to think that even if he does come back into the team, they can find a way to to run a functioning offense, even if he isn't at his best. All right, before we keep rolling, Frank, let's talk a little bit more about our show sponsor for today, Spotify Greenroom. This episode is brought to you by Greenroom, which is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. So I did one of these podcasts yesterday, uh, doing one a week, so this will continue through the finals and then probably into the off-season as well, to be honest. It's really fun to be able to catch up with you guys. There's a live chat room that you can send questions to me. You can also request to speak. We can have you on the show. Um, so it's been a lot of fun to, to get you guys involved. I say this all the time, but this is your show. So for you guys to be able to have the involvement and decide what we talk about uh, is always cool. It's always a lot of fun for me. So all you have to do is download the Green Room app. It's currently available in uh, whatever app store uh, you've got there, I believe, iOS and Android there as well. So be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. Follow me, at Kane Pittman, to be notified when my room goes live. Uh, and I'll see you in there. It's Green Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Today on Road to the Finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Offensively, I'm, I'm probably a little less worried about it, really, than, than defensively for, again, that reason. And we should point out, as of right now, it's 10.20 Central Time on Monday night. He's listed as doubtful for the mm-hmm. game. So obviously, you know, that, that doesn't... It's not a ringing endorsement of. It's not know, even questionable. Yeah, it's, it's even yeah. Worse. So I, you know, so I mean, obviously that that, that I think that, that would suggest obviously not that we shouldn't expect it, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I, I again, I think offensively, I think you can weather it a little bit better, just because again, it 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 I think does force you to play a little bit more of um of like a a flowing game. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can't, again, as Chris was saying, you can't just say, all right, you know, Giannis, uh, you bring it up and attack from the top and we'll stand over here and wait for your kickouts, you know, which they, they've done less of that in the playoffs, but, um, but obviously I think that's sort of a source of some of the stagnancy we sometimes see from them. Um, in addition to just the fact that, you know, defensively, uh, Bobby Portis is, is obviously not Giannis offensively, but he is a better floor stretcher than Giannis. And, you know, if he spaces out to the three point line, you know, defenses have to play him differently than they would Giannis off ball as well. So, and that's the, the, the biggest challenge too, with like the idea of bringing Giannis and having to be more of a, a decoy, um, you know, having him set screens and, and roll, he can still be a decoy that way. But if he's off ball or sort of sitting in the dunker spot, you know, again, I'm, he can probably still be pretty good from the dunker spot, just given um, the tools he still has to work with. But, uh, but obviously that that's probably going to congest the floor a little bit and, or, or give you just less options as far as spacing than, than at least with that, you know, that, that normal five man lineup that we've been seeing or really with any lineup that, that we would likely see offensively. Right. Cause the only other guys we know are playing are Pat, Pat Connaughton who has been great in the playoffs. Um, we know Pat's obviously going to play and, and he's important because obviously the way he 
can stretch the floor a bit from above the break in addition to the corners. And then uh, Bryn Forbes, who obviously, you know, has not really found the touch these last couple of weeks, but you can assume he's going to get some run, presumably when campaign is in the game uh, for, for the Suns. So, um, so yeah, I think offensively, you know, they can probably manage it. We saw them obviously score at a high rate last couple of games, even though they didn't shoot great for really all but pretty much the second half, you know, basically three halves out of four. They really didn't shoot the ball that well from three, um, but they did an awesome job in that first game getting Bobby and Brooke going around the basket. And then I think Atlanta did a much better job pressuring, you know, the attacks that, that in game five had set up uh, a lot of those easy buckets, which is why we didn't see as much of that in game six. But, you know, ultimately Chris and Drew were able to create enough offense for themselves and they were actually able to, to shoot and hit a bunch of threes in the second half to, to kind of carry them. So I think obviously if you were going to pick a game where, you know, you probably need a good three point shooting game, you know, I said it before the last game as well, and you actually ended up getting a good three point shooting performance despite that rough first half. I think this would be another game where you would say, Hey guys, if you want to start, you know, mean reverting and start making some threes, uh, the, you know, this, this game one would, would be an optimal time to do it. Uh, they only have a couple days off. So, you know, as we've talked about, does that mean that they'll have less less of an opportunity to get, uh, you know, um, rusty as they seemingly got before the last two game ones where they were really bad? Um, perhaps, uh, you know, you mentioned it on the, the podcast last night with Justin, you know, Chris, to the extent that he's a bellwether, his numbers get progressively better and better the more rest he has, you know, going from no days to, to a couple days off. So hopefully whatever it was, 65% true shooting with two days off. I'll take that game uh, from Chris Middleton tomorrow <laughs> if, he can, if he can do that. Um, but, you know, the other factor too is, I mean, these guys are, you know, two days off. Sure, it helps, but, you know, we're, we're talking about at the end of a pretty, um, you know, we're loading the home stretch of, of the playoffs after playing more minutes per game than any of these guys have for the most part um, at any point in recent years, right? So, um, the workload these guys have had, you know, an extra day probably matters a lot. But then again, they're probably still going to be, you know, feeling it in the fourth quarter uh, on Tuesday night. So, so yeah, um, I, I, we'll see. And I think, again, I think the interesting thing is going to be defensively. To me, that's the most fascinating question that I want to see in game one. You know, when the, when the Suns go to their first pick and rolls and put, you know, a 1-5 pick and roll into action with Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, how do the Bucks play it? Are, are, is Brooke Lopez switching from the start? Are they trying to run a more typical kind of zone drop? What are they trying to do there? Because um, I'm sure they're gonna we're gonna see different looks from them. Perhaps you know through the course of Game One, certainly through the series. Um, but I think it's a really interesting test of how Mike Budenholzer is thinking because you know going one through five switching the last two games was a very unbud thing like uh, unbud thing to do. It was a very proactive thing for him to do. Uh, this is, you know, the big league version of what they saw against Atlanta with CP3 and the way he can attack defenses and manipulate defenses. Um, so I'm, I'm just very curious. I don't know what, what your thought is if, you, if you're leaning one way or the other, um, but I would be very surprised if P.J. Tucker doesn't start because he's been starting and they've been winning. So I don't see Pat Connaughton, somebody else moving into the starting five. Um, and that said, I, I, if you put a gun to my head, I would probably say, they'll probably do a more typical kind of zone drop to start the game. But again, they're, you know, maybe Bud's going to be a little quicker to, to smash the glass and, and switch everything just given the success they've had the last two games. What do you think? Before I get to the def- defensive stuff, because after I did the pod with, with David last night, I was, I was thinking about it a lot. Tossing and turning in bed, I was, Frank. Awake all night thinking about defensive matchups. But just some of those three-point shooting numbers, just to really outline this. So erase the Miami series where they swept. Chris Milton, 33 for 103. So he's only been 32%. Drew's been 31.5%. Bryn Forbes, 29%. PJ Tucker, 29%. And then uh, Bobby Portis has been 21%. So your guys that you want to be shooting the ball have just been disastrous. Brooke Lopez, 39.5% has been the one guy that's been up And always count on Brooke. You you can. what we always say. You can always count on Brooke. And, and a lot of his threes also feel so timely, don't they? Brooke Lopez is always hitting those, those big threes that you're like, oh, boy, really needed that. Um, the other thing I just want to point out, I mean, and exclude Giannis. We know he's been 
Um, not great from the free throw line, 50% across these last two series. But Drew Holiday, 65%. And uh, PJ Tucker, well, he's hardly been there, but 75%. Bobby Portis has been there a bit, and he's only at 62%. He, your free throws, kids, as uh, my friend Lee Alice would say, or practice your free throws, kids. Um, so just a couple of areas that are so simple, but the Bucks are going to need to be better. So as far as matchups defensively, I, I had a question for you because I did mention last night on the pod that I, I think general size, quickness, defensive ability, length, I think that Chris Middleton is actually the best matchup for Devin Booker. I think he's done a pretty good job on him on past occasions. And Booker is a guy that will take and, and make, but take difficult shots. You know, he's going to take tough shots. And, and Chris Middleton with the length can, can really contest those. And as I said, he's done a good job in the past. But the concern with that matchup, as it always is with Middleton, particularly if Giannis isn't there, is the load that he's going to have to take on the offensive end. And that includes not just scoring, but facilitating and also the, the ball handling aspect of that. So the more I think about it, I agree, first of all, that I think PJ Tucker is going to start, going to continue to start. And I do kind of think to myself, well, if PJ Tucker isn't on Booker, then it, it kind of feels like a waste. I mean, yes, if you're yeah. going to be switching, Why put him in the game? <laughs> why, why put him out there? Like, yes, if you're yeah. going to be switching, he might switch out to the perimeter on occasion. But it's also like a lot of the times, like if you watch the Phoenix Suns, Jay Crowder standing in the corner. My, uh, Mikael Bridges is standing in the corner. So if... And he's not going to defend Chris Paul straight up, even though he he did do some uh, work on Trey Young late in the series. So I've kind of come around, and I, I think I'm putting PJ Tucker on Booker also for the other reason that he's going to annoy the shit out of Booker for seven games straight. And I think I think on one possession, perhaps uh, Chris Milton might be the best guy, or even one game Chris Milton might be the best guy. But for seven games, it might be PJ Tucker. I think I've come around on that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, you know. I- we kind of talked about it last series, going into last series, the the switch to put PJ into the starting five against Brooklyn after Dante goes down, you know, was sort of a, a logical move in the sense that you had KD, right? Like you, you, you had to have as many dudes as possible that could switch onto KD and that case. So KD can't just go hunting guys and PJ knowing KD and, you know, just everything about that. It was just, you know, the obvious kind of matchup to go to, even though, you knew that other guys would have to step up and defend him as well. And against the Hawks, it was interesting because, you know, I think we, were, we talked about it. Like, okay, well, who, who do you put PJ on? Like, what, 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 is, what is sort of – how do you make sure that he's not just defending somebody standing in the corner? And um, I thought, think the interesting thing was that even the Hawks had, you know, arguably more dynamic offensive players at the forward spots than the Suns do. I mean, I think the Suns are definitely a better team than the Hawks. But when you look at like the wings that uh, Phoenix had, um, you know, Herter ultimately ended up struggling in that series, but a pretty dynamic player in terms of his ability to put the ball on the floor, take advantage of smaller guys. We saw that uh, late in the Philly series. So, um, you know, Herter can do, could do stuff. And then John Collins, obviously we saw him um, go to work in the mid post and hit like tons of challenge contested <laughs> mid range shots and, you know, he's a guy that can hurt you on the offensive boards as well. So, um, so I, I think there was just more, there was a little more dynamism at the three, four spots than probably what the Suns have. And again, I, you know, I don't want to sell Mikhail Bridges and, and Jay Crowder short, but that's not really, like, I don't think they're, they're just asked to do as much. Um, you know, when you have the likes of CP3 and, and Booker on the team and Aiton's also a little, a little more dynamic, even if he hasn't really been asked to do a, a ton in the playoffs than Capella is. So, um, so yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I would probably put him on Booker. You know, those guys played together. People, you know, mm-hmm. might not remember uh, PJ's Phoenix time quite as much just because, you know, that was three teams ago, I guess, at this point. He just was in, in Toronto. Just in 20s, just a young whippersnapper. Yeah, I mean, he ended up playing for Toronto, actually defended Giannis a bit when uh, that, that first raptors Bucks mm-hmm. series from a few years ago. Uh, and then he ends up going to Houston, obviously, and having his probably his you know his best run of time uh, with with the with the uh, the Rockets. So, um, but you know he's he obviously um, is a guy who does his homework. He's a student of the game. He, he knows Booker personally. Now, granted, that was earlier in Booker's career before he became kind of the more fully formed version of who he is now. But I agree. I mean, I would have very I, I definitely would have concerns around you know his ability to run around screens um, and and kind of keep up with Devin in that regard. Um, 
the flip side is if if you're switching on you know off ball screens too, which if I'm the Bucks, I would I would absolutely do that. You know, if they're running actions, and it's easier for Chris Middleton to switch onto Devin Booker because of a a screen, you know, a small small screen or something like that. Great, Chris, you you take them, you know. Um, but I think as far as like a primary matchup, I would probably give it a shot. Um, and again, it's not because PJ is going to shut down Devin. Uh, you know, Devin's obviously has a quickness advantage. Um, he's great at working from the mid range. Um, you know, interestingly, Booker and CP3 are guys that that have not been shooting tons of threes. I know David on the podcast last night talked a fair bit about how you know Chris really has not been shooting many threes at all, and is pretty much with his shoulder stuff. Like it seems like he's kind of just shooting them only really to keep defensive on defenses honest, which I think is. I'm really curious to see how the Bucks uh, defend him because of that, um, and and what does what does Drew Holiday do? Like, how much does Drew Holiday maybe slip under screens rather than always trying to go over? You know, how much does he kind of dare Chris Paul to shoot threes? He shot them very well in the playoffs, but um, you know, obviously, I think there is still uh, some degree of discomfort shooting from from distance with you know the whatever it is, a wrist and shoulder injuries that he apparently has. So. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think again, game one, look, the Bucks, Bucks are used to playing with this starting five. It's been working. I'll put on my butt hat and say, fine, <laughs> let's just keep rolling with it. Uh, and I would agree. I mean, I would at least try to see if that PJ matchup with Booker can at least be something that, you know, again, I don't think there's any illusion that you're going to just stop him. Um, but we saw last series, you know, Beverly, once they put him on, on the book, was able to annoy him, also break his nose, <laughs> which was part of the annoyance. And you know, the mask uh, issues that, that Devin was having kind of post-nose break. Um, so I think, you know, putting PJ on him, bringing that physicality, um, I, I think, again, you, you know, you can't really show it in the stats easily, right? Just what kind of impact sort of just possession to possession physicality has on guys and just always being handsy and just, you know, again, when you escalate just the level of kind of hand-to-hand combat and you basically force the referees to accept probably a higher degree of physicality and contact than they would if you just don't play that way, right? That's the advantage of playing with that intensity and that physicality. And I think PJ obviously has, you know, figured out how to do that and kind of live on that knife's edge better than certainly the vast majority of NBA defenders. So I would give it a shot, um, you know, see if, if Devin's just too quick for him. If he is, then you've got Chris, obviously, that, that you can go back to. Um, I'm sure Connaughton's going to have to defend him at times. You know, they'll hunt all these dudes. Uh, anybody who has any potential weakness uh, will get hunted by Devin. He's not obviously sort of the same type of pick and roll maestro that, that CP3 is, but um, but he's obviously very good and, and they do a lot of different things to try to get him the ball. And, you know, we saw a fair bit in, in the, the games, the regular season games this season at the Bucks. I think for the first time we really saw um, examples of how they were kind of pre-switching and doing things to avoid putting Brooke into pick and roll actions. So switching off ball when they were trying to bring Brooke into actions um, and then some counter moves that the the Suns did to, to basically force Brooke into that. Like, you know, basically, um, having guys, you know, I think Booker was a guy who, like at one point, like, you know, flashed out and basically Brooke, who was trying to just kind of get back onto a big, then had to defend Brooke, uh, Devin in space, things like that. Right. So, you know, they're, they're, you can't hide from, from having the likes of both of those guys on the floor when, you, you know, defensively, everybody's going to have to be able to hold their own at times. And I think if you're the Bucks, you know, I think so much of this series to me just comes down to, do those guys have, uh, you know, a hot shooting mid-range series or do you get lucky and do they shoot you know 35 percent on contested mid-range shots rather than you know 50 percent right which is kind of a bet that the bucks have always sort of been willing to make uh against teams and i think with this suns team um you know they like to shoot a lot of corner threes that was uh, i think i think zach Lowe talked about that a fair bit on his pod preview today with kevin pelton and we talked to marcus as well which was a lot of fun hmm. but um but I, I think, you know, the Bucks have done generally very well at, at not giving up corner threes, um, but they give up a lot of mid-range shots and they give up a lot of above-the-break threes, which actually, you know, as you pointed out with the David Nash discussion, the Suns have not shot tons of threes in total. 
And so I'm just very curious to see kind of how those volumes work out. Cause it's a little, I, I still don't really understand how the volumes aren't higher for the Suns because yeah, you look at it, yeah. especially the wings and Cam Johnson's a phenomenal three point shooter coming off the bench. Crowder, we know likes to get them up. Uh, Bridges is a good three point shooter. And then you think of Booker and CP3 as, oh, those guys are good three-point shooters. But I guess it really is just the fact that those guys don't hunt three-pointers in the way that maybe we perceive them as, as doing. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I remember earlier this year, um, I kind of was joking around on Twitter about, like, the all guys who don't shoot three-pointers quite as well as you think they do team. And among the guys on that team, Trey Young, you know, who's – who you think of as this like dynamic, you know, some people obviously like want to make the Steph Curry comparisons. Well, what was he a 34% three point shooter this year on less volume than a year ago went from like nine to six threes a game. Um, but Devin Booker was kind of on that team as well. And again, it's not to take away anything uh, from Devin Booker as a scorer. I think he's a phenomenal scorer, but you know, again, it, it's a little bit different. I think he's, he's great at shooting from different positions on the court. So I don't want to like diminish his three point shooting ability overall. But, you know, he's a career 35% three-point shooter. In the regular season this year, he thought shot 34%. In the playoffs, he's shooting 34.4%. So, you know, it's, it's not to say you should be begging Devin Booker to shoot threes, but in terms of how guys are going to hurt you, you know, it's not Devin Booker taking a high screen and just pulling up over and over and over again from three-point range. That's not really how he plays. And for better or worse, he's gotten really good at, at you know, living inside the arc. and. Um, you know, you could say, well, that kind of is the way the Bucks want them to play, but it's also the way that they're used to playing, and you know, they will happily take what what some of the uh, what some of the shots are that the Bucks are going to give them. It's built by time, Frank. Before we keep going, and uh, I mentioned this on yesterday's pod, but there is a limited time flavor built grasshopper cookie. Unbelievable! From time to time, they have these limited flavors and uh, you guys know i'm a big fan of the built bars you are too the listeners are on board frank i know that you love them justin is always interrupting the podcast opening a built bar while i'm trying to speak it's it's very annoying but i almost can't blame him because they taste so good so there's nine a lot flavors as well but as far as the built grasshopper cookie you can get that from july six to nine so you've only got a few days here uh it, this is built bars version of the classic thin mint cookie all the flavor without all that sugar just 150 calories 17 grams of protein and only five grams of sugar so if you you can order today apparently i'm seeing here built bar is the official protein bar of the u.s track and field team so you know the u.s track and field team is not eating anything that's bad for them so keep that in mind just go to builtbar.com use the promo code Locked on, and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code locked on for 15% off at builtbar.com and then jump across to betonline.ag. Plenty of action on Bet Online as we get ready for the NBA finals here. There's also baseball, NHL, NFL, not too far away. It's this, this NBA finals is going to take us through to the middle or near the end of July. Then you've got the Olympics, and then the NFL is starting. So, uh, not much time to wait there before the next pitch, shot, hit, whatever it is. Go to bet online on your laptop or mobile device and check out the sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. If you go to the website and sign up today, you can receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code locked on there. That's bet online, your online sportsbook expert. And to your point, I mean, this is this is what we're talking about when we talk about the three-point shooters that they do have, particularly the role players, because you have the gravity of Booker and Chris Paul in the pick and roll and then the success that DeAndre Ayton has had as the role man in these, these postseason, mentioned the numbers yesterday, but uh, up over 70% field goal percentage and a lot of them are coming in those situations. He's, he's obviously had a massive postseason, but as has been a, an issue with the Bucs in the past, we see that the defense certainly collapses and then you've got Jay Crowder and Bridges and Camp Johnson and Campaign and all these guys hitting wide open threes and all of those players I mean I just mentioned the three point percentage numbers for the Bucks and we know that it's been absolutely disastrous the Bucks only have Lopez as the only guy that's shooting over 35 percent for the postseason but for the Suns Jay Crowder, Miguel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Campaign, Chris Paul, Torrey Craig and Dario Saric are all shooting over 35 percent and many of them are shooting over 40 percent so that's where the challenge is and that's why again um, as much as we've spoke about the availability of, of Dante DiVincenzo but that's uh, sorry as Giannis but that's why the loss of Dante DiVincenzo is just is really tough because not only 
you mentioned Booker hunting matchups, but I don't know if there's a better point guard in a league that finding the matchup and just knowing what he wants to get out of a defensive look than Chris Paul. So when you have to try and attempt to get those heat check minutes from Bryn Forbes, and then if he's not hitting threes, and then Jeff Teague, we, we know, we've spoke about it, is kind of a, a roller coaster ride when he's on the floor. And then if Pat Connaughton isn't hitting these threes, then all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, how many guys can we legitimately trust out there? And that's where I think it's going to be fascinating with this matchup. The Suns um, have been more willing to play more guys and probably have more playoff-capable players in the rotation that they can throw out there. So it's going to be a challenge for the Bucks as well. And the other thing with P.J. Tucker, you mentioned this, after the Atlanta series, but, you know, having him guarding Trey Young, as you pointed to with Capella, um, when, when they do get a switch there, if they are going to switch out there, I mean, yes, then you're putting in the situation where Brooke Lopez is out on Devin Booker. That's pretty scary. Or Chris Paul, but you have a bigger guy there with, uh, with PJ Tucker that might switch on to, to the role man there. And again, you're talking about a seven footer against a six, five PJ Tucker, but we know he plays bigger than that. Uh, so that's another interesting part there. Is there anything else? I, I will that... go. Uh, yeah, just just on that topic there, I think it, it is interesting a bit because we saw the Hawks so often uh, were able to sort of default to attacking the Bucks switching by either putting you know Gallinari into the post against switches or mm-hmm. John Collins in the post against switches. Really didn't see very much of. I mean, Capella's not really a you know low post threat. Um, I, I think if you're the Bucks, you have to just you know cross your fingers that the Hawks are or sorry, the, the Suns are no better at exploiting what the Bucks do than the Hawks were because, you know, I think at the end of the day, Capella had some big offensive rebounds um, at times, especially in like that game one win. But overall, it really wasn't a big factor and they really weren't able to really take advantage of, you know, switching and the size advantages that he had other than really the last six minutes of game one where, you know, their size was able to get a bunch of offensive rebounds against the Bucks kind of small switching combination. So, I mean, Aiden's a better player. He's more skilled. He has better touch. But you know, he's averaging. I think um, in one of our one of my DM threads, um, uh, I think my buddy Ryan. Shout out to to Ryan um, Archon fourteen. I think it was Ryan. So maybe I'm giving Ryan credit that he doesn't deserve. But I think he pulled it up. He's Archon fourteen uh, in on Twitter. Good good follow. Um, I think he said like like Aiden was averaging like one point five or something like that. Like post up post ups per per game in the playoffs or something like that. So it's like, it's not like they are hunting switches. I mean, the, the Clippers obviously did a lot of switching, especially when Zubats wasn't in the game in the, against them last series, but they really have not been looking for DeAndre Ayton as, you know, a one-on-one post matchup guy and, you know, credit, credit to them. I think they have weaponized him as a role man, as an offensive rebounder. And, you know, <laughs> It's interesting. We always talk about him being more of a finesse guy. I think he's he's obviously gotten better using his 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 body, but he's a pretty good free throw shooter. But he's made three free throws in the last seven games. Yeah, they, and they all came in one game. So in six of the last seven games, he hasn't made a single free throw. So it, you know, it, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, just sort of, uh, and, and and I hope that continues because certainly if he's a guy that the Bucks can't hold down and they have to foul to to really limit, then that would be a bad thing. Cause certainly uh, against, you know, even the Clippers who didn't always have uh, very big teams or certainly not super skilled, um, you know, defensive guys to throw at him. Apologies to, to Zubats and, and to Marcus Cousins. Um, you know, he really wasn't able to, to really kind of force the issue in that regard. So, um, but, but certainly like Crowder isn't going to post you up the way Danilo Gallinari is. Um, Mikhail Bridges isn't going to post you up. Um, you know, Saric is, has that kind of old man game, but he's not, Gallinari in that respect right so um so yeah I think that's that's one I I mean I look at the Suns I see so many ways that they can be better and more versatile especially defensively than the Hawks but certainly offensively that's at least one thing that they they don't necessarily they haven't really shown is that they're going to try to get switches and and post you up and, and hurt you that way and we should say that the versatility of the Bucks defensive lineups when they are switching that's why we've advocated it for it so much because even in that series against Atlanta when Gallinari was really wanting to post up Drew Holiday or it was John Collins, it was still kind of like, well, okay, if John Collins is just going to turn into this guy that is cannot physically miss a turnaround mid-range jumper, it's probably the shot that you're going to be okay with letting them have, particularly against a strong post defender like Drew Holiday. And I think that this will be the case in this series, even though, as you point out, outside of Booker and 
and Chris Paul, they don't actually have, it, it, it feels funny to say, but maybe they don't have the dynamic offensive players like a Bogdanovich and a Kevin Herter, as you said earlier in the podcast. One thing I did want to throw at you, and again, this is contingent on Giannis not playing. It's so weird that we're doing this preview pod and, and you don't know if the best player isn't playing, which makes it a little bit difficult. But if Giannis doesn't play, have you got any uh, preference or any idea, whether it would be Portis or Connaughton, that you would start based on the matchups and the projected starting lineup of the Suns? I mean, again, I'll... um. I think there's an obvious argument for putting Connaughton out there um, mm-hmm. just because you're not as worried about switches uh, that put Pat or other small guys in the post the way you would have been, you know, against some of the, you know, especially the, the Gallinari and Collins type type situations in, in the last series. But um, I, I think even with that, just given the way the last couple of games have worked out, I, I'd probably just say, you know what, like, you know, as the, the Bucks have been the best offensive rebounding team in the postseason, um, the the Suns have been solid on the defensive glass, but but not great. They have been pretty poor on the offensive glass. Um, I, I would just say again, and it's almost kind of like you're leaning into the reality of we're just not going to make three pointers at a <laughs> at a good rate um, yeah. because that's really the way the Bucks have counteracted their poor three point shooting is just the fact that they've really hit the boards and been able to manufacture second chance points. So, um, I, you know, at this point, like everything's so tenuous that I, at this point, I just feel like it, you're kind of overthinking it a little bit. So I would rather, you know, I would rather lose doing the thing that has been working for me sure. um, than, than trying to, you know, again, and, and I'm certainly, I think many of us, you know, have, have gotten on bud for not being proactive enough and, and, not kind of thinking a few steps ahead rather than kind of just waiting for stuff to happen. But, um, but it's not like Pat Connaughton isn't going to play in this game. <laughs> like, the Bucks have yeah. like yeah. six reliable dudes here. So, um, you know, I don't think you're going to lose the game because you started Bobby Portis rather than Pat Connaughton. Both those guys are going to have to play a lot. Um, I think there are combinations that you have to worry about. Like, are you playing Portis and Forbes together? Forbes, yeah. That's the one. Um, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the stuff that worries me more. Um, but I, I don't know that it matters a ton. And I think, again, I think if you do put Portis in there, then you are banking on, okay, you know what? Like, let's, let's leverage the fact that Bobby is bigger than Jay Crowder. PJ Tucker is, you know, bigger than whoever, you know, Chris Paul or whoever they're hiding on him and, um, and, and just lean into it. And obviously, you know, Brooke, whatever, Aiton's also a big guy, but, uh, but just try to lean into it the same way that you have been. And, um, we know PJ is not really going to be guarded. So <sighs> you hope he's going to maybe knock down more corner threes than he has. Uh, and then when he's not, that he's just going to be, you know, crashing the offensive glass and, um, and, you know, making himself useful that way offensively. So, so yeah, I would just say kind of just stick with what, what, what's been working there, especially offensively. I think defensively, maybe change it a little bit up, change it up a little bit, but I think especially when you're starting Bobby and Brooke, I don't know. I, Cause I think Portis is best off when he's switching. Cause I just think he's just doesn't know how to, I just don't think he, he knows how to zone drop well enough. doesn't protect the rim in the paint. So I just feel like the higher you put him up on the floor, the better he's going to be. So I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little torn. I think they're probably going to drop Brooke maybe a little bit more, but hopefully still leave him a little high um, rather than have him, you know, sagging back like he did. Uh, against the heat, but, um, I don't think he's going to give, you know, the Andre Drummond treatment just because of how good Paul and, and Booker are. But, um, but that, that's my best guess. Uh, and again, I think it just comes down to you just see if maybe you can get all that to kind of work together and, and see if you can recreate what you, what you did the last two games. And again, if you steal game one, um, you just have to be over the moon, just given the fact that it's going to just feel like you're, you know, I mean, the pressure's all on the Suns, right? And especially in these first two games, especially in game one, the pressure's all on Phoenix. Um, they should be the favorites in the series. We can talk about our, our kind of predictions, which are probably going to be pretty fluid based on the honest situation. But, you know, Phoenix should be the... There's no way you can tell me that that an objective view would not make Phoenix the favorite right now, just given the Giannis uncertainty. And certainly in game one, protecting home court, Giannis likely not playing, or if he's playing, he's going to be compromised. Um, you know, you just hope that, that Phoenix comes out rusty and maybe feeling some of that pressure. But, hey, they've also won all three of their game ones. So 
they haven't had the same problems that the Bucks have had in terms of being able to play at a high level in the start of series. So just to go back to a point you made earlier as we look to, to wrap up this show, as far as free throw attempts per game across the postseason, the Bucks and the Suns are the lowest two teams. The Bucks only getting 19.9 per game. The Suns only getting 19. And with Phoenix, really, it's only Devin Booker, the guy that gets to the line with some regularity, which, of course, if Giannis doesn't play, is obviously going to be a big factor for the Bucks as well because he's obviously the main guy that gets there, even if he hasn't been all that efficient. But it'll be something to watch because they did announce the officiating crew, Frank, and, and all the favorites are there. you got Mark Davis, you got Tony Brothers, you got Scotty Foster, uh, all those guys uh, that, that everyone knows and loves are going to be there, which is interesting because it is the continuation of the ongoing feud between Chris Paul and Scott Foster. I, I, I don't know. I, there's some history, there's some stat... Anyway, that relationship hasn't gone well. Chris Paul's cold. We, we are all Scott. We're all Scott Foster fans now. <laughs> Just give me, give me all the Scott Foster, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he called him out in one of uh, the press conferences. There, uh, I, I will mention, and it it feels you know for us, for us. I mean, we're we're covering an NBA Finals team here. We're not worried about the NBA draft, but I know a lot of people still will be the Bucks with that pick thirty-one. Don't forget about that. Starting July nineteenth. The Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey featuring analysis from the GOAT of NBA Mock Drafts, Chad Ford and Odyssey NBA experts Brian Scalabrini and former general manager Ryan McDonough. Our Locked On NBA local experts will make selections for your favorite basketball teams throughout this week-long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all sports, podcasts, music, and news that matters to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Now, I mentioned yesterday that I am definitely, um, I, I don't know if bitter is, is too harsh of a word, but I'm definitely, like my jealousy levels are rising big time, especially seeing all, you know, friends and reporters that have they've touched down in Phoenix, but it reminded me of the one time that I did go to Phoenix. This was going back a couple of years ago now and it was during spring training and I was there with Eric and Matt Velasquez and a couple of other friends that were out in Phoenix at the time and you know it was my first full Milwaukee winter so the, the second I got a little bit of sun I was just loving life so we went to a Brewers game we sat out on the grass all day long drinking beers oh boy did I get sunburned out there in Phoenix but then of course, we kicked on into the night and look, we, I don't want to give away too much of what happened and I, I certainly don't want to get our, our, our friends in trouble. It was a couple of years ago. It doesn't matter now. We're out on these. They've got these golf carts that drive you around in Phoenix. So we're out two o'clock in the morning, bar closed, out on these golf carts, zooming around Phoenix, going to the, to the next bar, having a great time. And then I woke up the next morning and realized that we had to go to shoot around. I was bright red. Absolutely all pink. Whatever color you want to say, I was severely sunburnt. We've walked into shoot around, maybe never been more hungover in my life. I was just feeling very, very awkward about walking into this professional environment, this basketball arena. Uh, To make matters worse, it was actually Pau Gasol's first practice with the team as well. So we all had him there and had one-on-one interviews with Pau Gasol. And I remember just walking into the the shoot around gym and bud like stopped about 10 meters away in front of me just looked at me pulled a typical bud face and said i got a bit of sun yesterday did you Kane?" and then started laughing and just kept walking and then we did our one-on-one with power gasol and being a big basketball fan i was just like pumped i was like this is power gasol it's unbelievable but i was just brutally hung over i think i started i think my mouth was too dry to even answer a question it was all very very bad but we all got our revenge because that night before the game, I guess the Bucks had been out playing golf during the day and Bud came in and, and his face was bright pink. He'd got enough sun himself as well. So I looked at him and said the same thing. Hey, get a bit of sun this afternoon, did you, Bud? The Bucks ended up losing the game, uh, but that's my only Phoenix story that I've got, my one trip to Phoenix. Your, your ultimate Bud burn, uh, literally and figuratively. <laughs> um, it's good to get him back. Gotta, you got to be able to dish it out a little bit. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. And, and well, what, what do you think? I mean, as, as things kind of certainly, as things sort of lay right now, um, do you, are, do you, would you even venture a, kind of a series prediction um, for, for, for this? Obviously, we're, we're kind of guessing um, a bit at Giannis's status, but I, it's kind of funny kind of thinking back to it because it's like I think my, my end predictions were for the Heat series, Bucks and six. Uh, for this Net series, I said Nets and seven. 
for the Hawks series, I said Bucks and six. Um, and it's just kind of weird to look back on those now because it was like all those predictions were, you know, like, I mean, with the exception of the Heat series, like the last two series, like things changed so much within this series that it's almost just like, okay, I technically predicted Hawks and or Bucks and six, but it's like, do I even deserve any credit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like you know I don't, I don't know like does does the Giannis injury wash out the 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 tray injury like I, I don't know I mean but um but I'll, I'll I'll say this I mean I I think the Suns have to be favored um I think the longer this series goes the more it works in the Bucks favor um just because uh, again I think they're they're going to be just a you know lower strength earlier in the series than, than late. And, you know, as, as David Nash was saying on the pod yesterday, um, earlier today with you, um, you know, Chris Paul's only, you know, one hit away from potentially having his shoulder re-aggravated. There's so many things that can happen, right? Like, I mean, God knows, I mean, Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton better not turn, turn an ankle, uh, in, in game one or something like that. Cause I, I, I can't, we've already lost Giannis for potentially game one and obviously his, his fitness will be, is going to be a question mark, but um, I don't know. Things can change so much. I think as things lay right now though, um, I think it's just going to be really tough for the Bucks to win either of those first two games, just given that you're going to have either no Giannis or, or compromise Giannis. And obviously when you don't win the first two games, historically that would say your odds of winning the series are very low, but <laughs> the Bucks have shown that they could turn it around once previously in a series where they did not have home court against the Nets. So you don't want to cut them out, but you know, again, I just think um, it, it just become life becomes very difficult uh, if you have to win four out of five, right. Which again, the bucks have done that. Um, but I, let me say this. I don't foresee a, ser- a scenario where like the bucks win in five. I think there's probably a, a worst case scenario for the bucks where, you know, they lose in, in like five, uh, if Giannis can't come back or if he's you know really limited and they just continue to shoot poorly, et cetera. Um, but again, I think if they can, especially if they can steal one of those first two and then really defend home court, um, you know, then I think that's really where the series becomes really interesting and that, you know, maybe you, you obviously give yourself an increasing chance. So I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like I can't pick Suns in six because nobody, you can't pick any team in six against the Bucks. <laughs> um, if you put, you know, the gun to my head, I might say like Suns in seven, um, but, but I don't know it, this is, this is kind of what's so frustrating about this series is just, you know, the bucks are finally in the finals and it's like, and we have to deal with this uncertainty around, you know, our two time MVP. But again, it's all, it's all relative, I suppose. Well, I get it. You're just trying to set your expectations low, Frank, and I, I respect it. There's no doubt about that, but uh, I will say that, you know, I don't think anyone, and, and look, maybe maybe the, the biggest optimist without Giannis, if he's not even close to what we know, would, would predict that the Bucs can, can win this series, especially when they don't have home court. But I have been a little bit fascinated because I do think, I mean, if you look across these teams, and again, of course, if Giannis isn't there, it changes this. But geez, they're even. If you look at the offensive rating for the regular season, the off- defensive rating for the regular season and the postseason, they're basically identical right throughout. And then the two games they've played were decided by one point. So, I mean, it just feels really, really, really even. And I do think that, I, I don't know why it is, and if you're a Milwaukee fan, maybe you'll be a bit jaded about this and think, well, yeah, this is typical. This is Milwaukee. But they're playing the Phoenix Suns, which is the strange thing about it. I don't know whether it's the Chris Paul narrative or, or what it is, but everything that I've heard or everything that I've read has kind of indicated that this Phoenix Suns have just been this absolute juggernaut through the playoffs and the Bucks have really just basically got through on luck and nothing else. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, listen, we can sit here and we cover the Bucks. We can say, look, they've had a pretty nice run, for sure. They got some luck. Of course, that turned in a severe way when Giannis went down, but they got some luck to that point. That's fine. We can accept that. I've always said luck is part of winning the title. Who gives a shit? But let's not act like the Suns haven't had the same thing. They look like they're about to get destroyed by the Lakers in the first round. And then Anthony Davis went down. They then had no Jamal Murray and basically zero ball handling against the Denver Nuggets, swept them. And then in the previous series, they they really scrapped by a Clippers team without Kawhi Leonard. So all I'll say is let's not act like this Phoenix team has been a juggernaut through the postseason. I think it's going to be a very even series. If Giannis is close to healthy, I would. If, if this was all things considered, I'd, I'd feel pretty good about Bucks in six. So I do think this has all the hallmarks of a very, very long series, and it does feel like it could go to game seven, which, Frank, I mean, if we get to game seven on the, of the NBA finals, how, how are we going to handle that? Um, I mean, I'll probably have, like, 
had multiple heart attacks by that point. And <laughs> I, I'm, you may need a new podcast uh, co-host at that point. Uh, um, I, I don't know that my, um, that my physical being could, could survive a, a seven game series in the NBA finals. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's kind of funny. I, I do wonder how much differently the Bucks sort of narrative would be if they win game five against Brooklyn and mm-hmm. then close that out at home. Um, because, you know, I, I, it felt like that was in many ways sort of like, you know, sort of peak Bucks or idiots um, mm. and peak frustration about the Bucks, for, at least from like a national media perspective. And that's where sort of, you know, if, if they had closed it out um, a little bit, you know, in, in one game, you know, one game sooner than, than perhaps the narrative of the second round is, is less about the Bucks just, you know, stumbling ass backwards into a, a, a victory over the Nets, which, you know, I think, I think we would agree, like, is really sort of a disservice to also just how awesome Kevin Durant was. And yes. yeah. honestly, how well the Nets played defensively. Because I, I think when you watch the Nets series, and you compare the way then you know because the Bucks didn't. Sh- it's not like the Bucks shot the lights out against the Heat or the Hawks either. But I thought the Bucks showed against both the Heat, who are theoretically a good defensive team, as well as um, the Hawks. You know, just I'd say other than like Game One of the Heat series, um, you know that that they could kind of run offense and do the kind of things that you need to do to exploit the other team, right? Um, and, and they did it in different ways, right? Like the way that they would just kind of run out, have, have their big seal early in transition against the Hawks and really kind of attack, um, you know, Atlanta's small guys that way, you know, it wasn't like the typical isolate them in half court and just beat them up in the post type thing. Um, but they found different ways to take advantage of that. You know, again, the offensive rebounding is a subtle way to take advantage of teams being small or having weak defenders. Um, and they've done that really well and done that very effectively. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, this is the thing, right? Like (laughs) every series has its own personality. Every series has a different flow, you know, players, teams from one series to the next, like it's surprising how little correlation there often seems to be between those. And I think it speaks to sort of the styles make fights kind of aspect of, of basketball. Um, I think Kevin Pelton on the, on the Zach Lowe pod today, I think he, I think he referenced that, you know, this was like the, the worst shooting team to get to the NBA finals from three point range. Um, since I believe the Oh four Pistons, I think who shot like 30 point something percent, um, coming into the, to the final round. Um, and I believe Kevin said that essentially like that's pretty much uncorrelated with then how teams shoot thereafter. Um, at this point, uh, after three small sample size explosion is about to come, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this point, after three rounds of the Bucks struggling, you know, it's it's. I, I'm certainly not expecting you know them to rain twenty threes on uh, on the Suns on Tuesday night. Um, but you know, I think for them to win the series, I, I, I just I cannot picture them winning the finals, uh, shooting thirty one percent from three again. I think uh, they're going to, or, or at least they're going to have to be. You know, they're going to concentrate a couple of terrible shooting games in the games that they were going to lose anyway. You know, okay, fine. But then you're going to have to make up for it and have some big shooting nights that that kind of help you steal back some games, especially a potential road game, right? But, you know, give the Bucks credit. Like I said, the offensive rebounding, using their bigs, um, using like a guy like Drew who has a size advantage against pretty much any point guard and a physicality advantage against pretty much any point guard that he goes up against. Um, you know, there are ways to, to combat that and they've done that so far, but, um, you know, I, I think at some point, you know, you're going to, you're going to have to, you're going to have to play your best basketball. And I mean, that, that's maybe the silver lining of all this is that, you know, certainly I still don't feel like we've seen the Bucks playing their best basketball outside of maybe, maybe a few, a few spurts here and there, right? Like maybe some individual games you can call out like game two of the Atlanta series, um, you know, maybe game six, I don't know of maybe game six of the net series. Maybe I'm, I'm like trying to think back to like, you know, the, they're kind of like big blow up games and, and game two of the heat series. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, 
know, we've been saying it, all you can do is survive in advance and just hope to live to fight another day. And then hope that on that day <laughs> that, you know, you play really good basketball and, um, you know, bucks don't have to hit 23s every game of the finals, but, um, they're going to have to probably have, you know, again, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and hopefully Giannis and Brooke, Bobby, they're going to have to have some of these guys, you know, there's only six dudes, basically seven guys. If Giannis is healthy, that, um, probably are going to be real consistent minutes guys. And you're going to need a lot of those guys to step up, um, throughout the series. All right, Frank, let's leave it there. We'll catch up again after game one. Hopefully, it's a happy podcast, but it's kind of like the calm before the storm here. The series is yet to tip at 0-0. You can think of all the, the positives you want to think about, um, but we'll have a clear indication of a lot of things after game one, or perhaps we won't, depending on what happens with Giannis. But it is an 8 p.m. tip. Hopefully, everyone, as I've said, has has really enjoyed the last couple of days. It's been fun, as I, as I keep saying, to see Milwaukee and all the Bucks fans and all the people buying their Bucks finals gear and everything like that. It is really, really awesome. I'll leave this podcast with one thought. And you, you just made this come to my mind, Frank. Uh, we always hear about 82 game players. Then we hear about 16 game players. But I think that Bryn Forbes might be an eight game player. <laughs> we'll catch you after game one. <laughs> Enjoy the game. <laughs>